Contrary to popular belief, history does not repeat itself. The story of our planet was not predetermined. There was no air of inevitability to it. And the story of life does not speak to us of a linear progression from primitive to sophisticated. Instead, its shape has been carved out by the accumulation and the loss of information, genetic and cultural, creating the illusion of relentless progress. Clive Finlayson Welcome to Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening so regularly, and I hope you've been enjoying the show and these last few episodes specifically. Um, this week, there are some kind of uh, some points I want to go over based on some feedback, and uh, kind of go and kind of just reiterate some points I made uh, prior uh, before we get to our next uh, group of focus or area of study. So, last week we discussed that the peoples that were speaking the Proto-Niger-Congo proto, uh, language or languages. There are a few points I want to reiterate about this. The first thing it's, is that some of the divisions I have talked about may not be happening yet, but they will be happening soon, from 10,000-ish B.C., also, it is a debate that the language spoken by the Proto-Mande is a branch of the Niger-Congo family. If it is, it is the oldest one. If it is not related, then the Proto-Mande people broke away from the rest of the rest of African peoples earlier than you know, we're, we're currently have evidence of. Uh, it is for this reason that I believe they were the people occupying southward, the southwestern area of the most recent Green Sahara. I think somewhere around the borders of modern-day Mali and Mauritania. Um, they probably would have been situated along either a northwestern branch of the Niger River, a northern branch of the Senegal River, or along the Taman Rasset River, uh, none of which exist current day because of, of course, the Sahara drying up. Uh, in fact, they probably made that migration, um, you know, or migrated out of this area several times. Um, each time the Sahara became green or greener than what it is now. But whatever the exact case is, we'll eventually return to the descendants of the Protomande peoples in future episodes. Now, though, I want to focus on other branches of the Proto-Niger-Congo family. This week we're going to focus on the Cordofanian branch. Now this group has its own difficulty in kind of establishing a provenance. Cordofanian uh, uh, is used to describe languages that belong to several tribes that live mostly in and around the Nuba Hills and these are located in the modern-day country of Sudan. Um, the issue this causes is that not, not all languages spoken in that area are uh, Proto-Niger-Congo, uh, but they're still Cordofanian, and both the Proto-Niger-Congo uh, and non-Proto-Niger-Congo -Proto branches 
have had influence on each other. So basically, Cordofanian is an umbrella term that discusses languages in this specific area and that have kind of melded each other. But basically, there's there's like one or two groups that speak a Cordofanian language that did not originate in the from the Proto-Niger tongue, and then the rest of the Cordofanian languages do uh, descend from the Proto-Niger uh, group. Um, and another thing that kind of um, makes it harder to kind of study and go over uh, these people is uh, they do not, as far as I can tell, I cannot find any references or information on kind of their original native religions uh, of these groups. Um, they have been thoroughly um, converted by Islamic um, preachers and groups uh, interacting with them through trade and you know, conquest, that kind of thing. Um, so unfortunately, I cannot find any information about what the original Cordofanian religion was, um, or even like the various groups. I can't even find any kind of um, kind of syncretic practices or you know old things. Kind of like how the West Africans uh, that we discussed last week, the Proto Mande, and the you know the people that descended from them, how a lot of them use masks and ancestor worship have kind of been incorporated into their specific flavor of Islam. I can't find any specific mention of any traditions or ceremonies that they kind of incorporated into their practice of Islam. Uh, so it's a little hard to get a clear picture of these people. Another difficulty is if you look at a map, um, the southern border of Sudan where these people are mostly situated they are not close at all to where the rest of the, you know, the early Proto-Niger branches ended up. They're, they're across the continent. These languages, or people that speak these languages, are focused in t almost entirely around, if you look at a modern map, um, the middle part of southern Sudan. Not South Sudan, but right along the border of Sudan and South Sudan. They are kind of um, in the center of South of Southern Sudan, um, north of the South Sudan border. And I know that's confusing, but that's unfortunately what we have to work with. Um, most of that area is, um, there are some small kind of uh, streams and rivers in the area, but it's very rare, mostly due to the rainy season. It's, it's the Sahil, basically. It is the Savannah Plains. Uh, in Sudan. So what probably happened uh, is that these people kind of were in the eastern part of um, the Niger uh, river system, maybe originating somewhere around kind of Lake Chad when it was much larger. Uh, and then as that lake started to dry up and probably due to competition with the other people around that area, they instead of moving south closer to the Congo, they moved uh, east um, and probably ended up around some of those other groups. 
And um, the people that speak uh, today, I guess, the descendants of these people, um, they are, uh, I think the Niger-Congo groups are pretty, you know, pretty formally classified into, um, I think, three um, main branches. Uh, there's Katla, there's uh, Rashad, uh, and then there's um, there's Tolodi Haban, which is then broken down into Lodi and Haban. Um, and there's another, I think, a small Atlantic Congo group that moved in later. Um, uh, and it's considered Cordophian, even though it probably came from a later branch of the Niger Congo group. Um, uh, and this isn't a large number of speakers in terms of this. I think, um, I don't even know if they, you know, if they as a group, like all of them together is over a million. Um, which if you consider where they live, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's not the most, um, fertile and easy to live in environment, uh, even when times are quote unquote good. Uh, now, the next group I kind of want to talk to or mention and go over is um, what you would call the Atlantic Congo. Um, now, this is a very large part of the Niger Congo languages. If you remember when I mentioned last week about most linguists believing that the more derivations or derivatives of a language that exist in the area tends to mean that the language has been spoken there longer. Um, where we're going to be focusing on now does see quite a large amount of uh, dialects spoken. So uh, obviously this is probably where you know, I guess the language kind of originated um, first. Um, so for the Atlantic Congo, uh, you have um, the Atlantic languages, which are, if you look at a map today, um, they're the ones that are spoken all along the uh, West African coast from the mouth of the Senegal River. Um, that you know, feeds directly out into um, the Atlantic Oceans and kind of go faces towards, I believe it's the, um, uh, I forget the island chain. I, it's not the Canaries, but I want to say it's the Canaries, but it's not. Um, it's where kind of Europeans, I think, set up initially like a lot of their first outposts uh, when they were exploring the African coast. But um, regardless, most of these languages are spoken today by Fula people. Uh, I think is the name of the group. Um, and they're kind of buffeted now by the Monde speakers. Uh, and then as you kind of turn um, that, um, that one that goes directly from the Senegal, uh, Gambia, uh, then you have a little group of speakers uh, that are known as uh, the Kru languages, and that's K-R-U. Then you have uh, on the coast going back towards uh, kind of the interior in the Bight of Biafra, you have, uh, I believe it is known as Kwa languages, and then you have the Volter Niger speakers, uh, the Binu Congo, and then you have um, Bantoid languages, 
uh, and then you have the Bantu languages. So, I mean, you have, what was that, six, seven, uh, just along the coast, and then you have some in the interior, things like uh, Gur and Sinufu. Uh, and please keep in mind that even though those are the kind of majority of languages spoken in those reason, regions, they are not the only languages. There are overlaps between all the groups I've mentioned, kind of where they kind of butt up against each other. Um, and there may be, you know, ethnic groups more related to, you know, themselves that they don't even speak the same language anymore just because it was more efficient or because of conquest or trade or things like that. So it's, it's not that cut and dry, but that's just me trying to give a brief overview of the peoples who are kind of going to emerge or are emerging at 10,000 BC. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's just kind of what I wanted to go over. Uh, now, there are a couple of more groups that I need to discuss. And like Mande or Cordofanian, uh, they do not fit neatly into this kind of overarching mega family. Like, um, and these are peoples who um, are kind of grouped with the Niger-Congo families probably more because of their location rather than any kind of etymology or linguistic reasons. Um, and those big groups are uh, Dogon, um, Ijo, uh, and I believe the other one was Defaka uh, groups. And they are, um, they are very much surrounded by the Niger-Congo and Mande peoples, uh, and they have, you know, they have very ancient languages. So again, if again we're talking, if if they are not part of the Niger-Congo family, then they are very early, you know, breakoff groups. They've been speaking their languages for quite a long time. It's before there's been any way to kind of trace them and connect them. To the other languages and these are not huge groups um, I know the uh, Dogon they only have about 600,000 speakers and it's broken into like a dozen different languages so they have not had the easiest time competing with their neighbors um, and then again that's stuff we're going to go into um, in future episodes uh, I know there is some talk that kind of what happened with some of those Cordofanian languages happened in reverse, that maybe some of the Dogon people migrated far to the west from the east, and they ended up there. Um, and that's something we're, we're might, we'll probably get into in, uh, I believe it'll be the episode, or the, the group of episodes after the next one. Um, when we discuss the, the Nilo-Saharan languages. Um, but as for the, I guess, the uh, Atlantic Congo peoples, or the Proto-Atlantic Congo, Congo peoples, we can't get any kind of um, 
I guess, a reconstruction of their religion, or at least I wasn't able to kind of determine any kind of overarching uh, commonality between these peoples. And again, there's there's a lot of these peoples. I mean, again, we talked about how the the language has diversified so much. These people have, of course, diversified in other ways, and that includes religion. And a lot of important factors in religion comes from environment. So if honestly, or obviously, if there's not a commonality between environment, um, while you're separated, there's probably not going to be commonality in religious or spiritual practices. Um, but I kind of got a couple of current day uh, traditional beliefs from a couple of these different groups and there is some overlap when it comes to um, other groups. Uh, specifically, I believe it's the Timne people who are um, Part of the Atlantic branch of the Atlantic Congo. Um, these people live in, uh, I think, modern day um, Sierra Leone and uh, Guinea. Uh, and a lot of them now today are either uh, Muslims, most of them are Muslims, uh, and there is a smaller number of Christians in the group. Um, but they do have some traditional beliefs that you know have been passed down. Uh, in fact, they have uh, a creator, uh, God, a supreme being, and uh, there are lesser deities under him. And uh, I think the term um, is uh, Kuru Masaba, uh, and that's kind of related to uh, Aman, uh, a phrase of a of another neighboring group that we'll get into later. Um, that is not in the same language family. Um, they have uh, secret societies, uh, which is similar to some of the uh, Proto-Monde peoples. Uh, but we're going to go into more detail with that later because, again, I'm not too convinced that there is a lot of commonality. And I think at 10,000 BC, a lot of the practices that show up later are not being practiced yet. Um, but another group is um, that kind of has its own um, its own form of religion are the Bijago people. Uh, they also kind of are in that uh, Guinea-Bissau area. Um, they have um, they live in kind of mangrove swamps, and they have a very different society than a lot of other groups around them. They are very matrilineal. Um, they have kind of a very um, animalistic or animistic, I mean, not animalistic, animistic relationship to nature. Um, trees are very important to them. Um, again, we talked about matrilinity. Um, you'll see that a lot, especially when it comes to um, a lot of agrarian societies, which they're not in yet. Um, but they also um, revere certain types of uh, fauna, uh, things like manatees, uh, sea turtles, uh, they're very important to them and you know, very powerful creatures. So they, you know, you're getting away from the uh, Sahara and the steppes, uh, or not the steppes, uh, the savannah. The steppes are very far away. Um, but things like Alans, they're not 
I mean, they would respect them, obviously, but they're not a huge part, at least as far as I can tell, in their religious beliefs. Which I think makes complete sense, because while these people are hunter-gatherers, the same way the Central Africans and the South Africans and Southeastern Africans are at this time frame, they are a different kind of hunter-gatherers. Again, like, like the Congo peoples, they have fish in their diet or seafood. Um, they have access to a different group of resources that they don't have in the South. Um, which is important to point out because hunter-gatherer is an accurate term, but it's also extremely broad. It doesn't kind of give any kind of uh, division or description to how people are actually surviving. And, spoiler alert for some future episodes, some of these uh, Niger-Congo speakers are going to be the ones that discover agriculture in this part of the world. Um, and they will, of course, uh, spread it around to their neighbors, either through uh, force or through just uh, trade and um, discussions. Uh, not everyone's going to take to it. There are still going to be those living a more traditional foraging lifestyle, but it is something that springs up on its own in this area. It's discovered in, you know, independently. And we will get to that uh, in a few episodes. Um, it'll be a little while before we get back to Africa to discuss it because it it emerged somewhere else first, but again, it is discovered independently by one of these groups of people, and I'll be able to go into more details on more of these kind of splinter groups um, or these descendant groups. It's kind of hard to cover right now because, again, there's not as much division at 10,000 BC as. I've been making it sound, but it is going to happen soon, and unfortunately just the way, you know, I've kind of decided to structure the podcast, um, we won't be able to come back to Africa until most of these groups have split off. So I just kind of wanted to set the scene so you can keep in mind as we're covering other areas that while all that stuff is going on there, West Africa is seeing a kind of explosion and expansion of these proto-Niger-Congo speakers and their neighbors, um, and they're kind of peopling and laying out territory that they control or that they migrate to and from. So just keep in mind, West Africa is doing its own thing. They are laying their own foundations for uh, societies, uh, civilization, um, you know, they are they are developing their own brand of uh, what will become state societies. Um, but that's getting it's getting very hard, far ahead of ourselves, and we'll be back to these peoples right around the time they're getting ready to establish the first permanent settlements. Um, because that, that affects very much Central and Southern Africa. And, well, hell, Southern East Africa, too. Um, 
But again, that's all for future episodes. Um, next week, uh, it is the week Memorial Day weekend. I have that Monday off, so I'm hoping to have a regular episode uh, out at the normal time, and then possibly that Monday, a bonus episode. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to do Alpha or 10,000 BC yet. It's probably going to be Alpha. Um, but I'll let you guys, obviously, you'll, you'll see the title when it's posted. Um, worst case, I think I might have two episodes out that Monday. Um, I'm going to try to have the regular upload ready to go as well. But, um, yeah, this episode was a little bit shorter than the last one, but then again, the last one was a little bit longer. Um, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, please give me any feedback you have. Um, if you have any questions or if you felt like I wasn't clear or if I was repeating myself, which of course I do a lot, I'm still still getting used to this podcasting thing, so I, I am legitimately looking for any feedback, uh, constructive feedback specifically, um, that anyone has. Please feel free to message me um, at war add revpod at gmail.com and of course you can also message me on Twitter I do uh, link the account to um, my Twitter in the episode description uh, but yeah I'd like to thank you for listening I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope to hear from you in the future and I hope you continue listening thank you have a good day goodbye <laughs>